If you guys just pray with me, we're going we're gonna to jump into the Word. If you guys have your Bibles, it's going to be in Acts chapter 2. Uh, let me just pray, pray as we transition here. Father God, uh, thank you for tonight. Thank you for a special night, God. Um, emphasizing your heart, your heart for missions, your heart for the world. God, you love each and every single person on this planet. Of the uh, almost 8 billion people, God, stretched across every continent of the earth, God, uh, each and every one of them, God, you love. You love and you desire a relationship with. God, we believe it. Uh, and we pray that, that we would have the same heart that you do, Father. Uh, God, to see these people uh, come into a relationship with you, see these people drawn to you, Father God. And I pray that you would use us, God. Use us as a ministry to be missional, uh, both here on the campus of the University of Memphis and around the world, God. Use us for your kingdom and for your glory. God, would you prepare our hearts beforehand as we're about to jump into your word. Uh, prepare our hearts, God, to receive the teaching that you have for tonight. Uh, would it shape us and mold us uh, to be the people that you want to be? Holy Spirit, would you have your way? Uh, have your way the rest of our time here tonight, God. Do what you please. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, my name is Matt. If I, if I didn't say that at any point, there's a lot of new faces here tonight. My name is Matt, uh, and if I've not met you before, I want to meet you tonight. So don't leave here. Like, get your sushi, get your pocky, but don't leave here without introducing yourself, because I want to know you. Some of you guys I know very, very well, and you know me very well. Some of you guys, you know, we've met a couple times, but you don't know me very well. So, so one thing that you need to know about me after... I'm a Christian, after I love Jesus, after I'm married, that's my wife, Jackie, uh, who led worship. I have three kids, Thomas, Cadence, and Hannah. They are nine, seven, and six years old. Uh, after all that, something really, really important you need to know about me, I like Spider-Man, like a lot, like a whole lot. So, so I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd uh, when it comes to comic books and superheroes and those kind of things, and Spider-Man in particular is my very favorite because he's the greatest superhero in the world. You can find me on that, but you're wrong, okay? <laughs> Spider-Man's the best. Uh, and if any of you guys have ever read a Spider-Man comic book, seen a Spider-Man movie, watched a Spider-Man cartoon, I would guess I'm, that's almost everybody, uh, you, you, you may know, how is Spider-Man treated in the media, particularly the printed press? How do they treat our, our buddy Spider-Man? And they, yeah, they, they hate on Spider-Man, right? <laughs> Uh, they, they say he's, he's a menace, they say he's incompetent at, at best, or he, he's a villain at, at worst. Uh, man, they've got terrible, terrible things to say uh, about our buddy Spider-Man. And so I'm here loving Spider-Man. Spider-Man's a hero, and he's doing the best he can uh, to make it and try to save the day and just try to make it in life and make ends meet. And he's got no money, and he's got no girlfriend, and he's trying to make everything work, and he's trying to save the day and stop these villains. And he's doing everything he can. And you're reading it, and you're like, man, I'm feeling for this guy. And then, and then the newspaper says that he's a menace, and he's terrorizing the city, and everyone should hate him. Uh, and you're like, no, that's not right. That's not Spider-Man. You got it all wrong, J. Jonah Jameson. That's not how it is at all. That's not how it is at all. Spider-Man's not a menace. He's the hero. He's the hero of the whole book. He's the hero of the whole story. Uh, and they've got it all wrong. How many of you guys have ever, have ever been lied about? Have ever been misrepresented or had someone that you care about be misrepresented? Um, make you mad? Yeah, make you upset when, when someone that you care about is being misrepresented, a situation is being misconstrued, misrepresented in some kind of way. Maybe it's accidental, maybe it's intentional, maybe it's worse when it's intentional. Someone on purpose, lying, misrepresenting you, man, that makes you mad, that makes you frustrated. Uh, when, I was, when I was in middle school, I'm going to tell you guys a short story here. When I was in middle school, I had a friend uh, named Zach. I thought we were friends. Right? I thought we were friends. I had a friend named Zach. When, when Zach and I got to eighth grade, we both started liking the same girl. Right? Oh, that, that's awkward. That's a problem. And we were, we were too young to know any kind of like 
bro honor system, right, about, about handling oh, such affairs. So we both liked the same girl, and it, and it, and it got kind of ugly, or at least on Zach's side it got ugly. I was just trying to, you know, whatever. So uh, we both liked the same girl. That was difficult, and, and, and Zach made it extra difficult because he started to tell stories about me that were not true, right? He said, oh, man, Matt's actually interested in this other girl over here, and I heard him talking to her, trying, trying to go out with her, and while well, at the same time he's talking to you, and he, he'd say all these kind of different things in, in her ear, and, and, and she's, she's believing that, and short, long story short, totally ruined my chances with this girl, um, didn't work out, that's okay, that's okay, clapping, um, I mean, there's not a lot of people that end up marrying their 8th grade sweetheart anyway, right, so, so it's for the best, but, but in, the, in the moment, I'm like, dude is lying about me, like all this stuff he's saying is not true, and, 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 and in her eyes, I'm, I'm a scumbag, and I'm like, man, oh man, and, and so, so I'm, I'm frustrated with this guy, right? Purposefully misrepresenting me, purposely misrepresent the situation and lying about me. And if you guys, and so a lot of you guys raise your hand, if you've ever had that experience, you know, it is terrible. Terrible to be lied about. Terrible when someone you care about, man, a, a friend, a relative, you know, they're being lied about. You know, they're being misrepresented or a situation's being misconstrued that's making someone you care about and putting them in a bad light. That makes you mad, right? That makes you angry. Uh, it should, because you care about them. You want, you want the truth to come out, right? And you, you, you want the truth to be out there. You want people to know what's true. You want people to know what's right. And you want, you want people to know Spider-Man's the hero, right? And you want people to know that, that, that you love them, and they're a person of character, uh, that they're good, that they want to do all that nonsense that's being lied about them, right? Uh, so, so we get angry. We get upset. We hate that. Uh, what we're going to look at tonight, as we look at Acts chapter 2, is that the first Christians had to deal with this as well. The very first Christians had to deal with Jesus, their Lord, being misrepresented, being lied about. Man, there are all kinds of stories going around about Jesus. You know, some, some of these stories got him arrested and killed, right? And even after he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, there's still lots of stories circulating about Jesus. Things that were not true about Jesus. So people were having wrong ideas about Jesus, wrong thoughts uh, about God. Um, and and so, so these people that had been his followers, that had been witness to his life and ministry, his miraculous death and resurrection, the people that, that knew him best, that, that knew, man, these things are not true. Man, and so it, it's, it's on them to, to stand up, to uphold that truth. Um, and, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight. You know, 2,000 years later, it's much the same way, right? 2,000 years later, 2016, Memphis, Tennessee, it's much the same way. People have a lot of different ideas about Jesus. Would you say that? People have a lot of different ideas about spirituality and religion. Lots of different ideas about God and how you can reach Him. All kinds of different ideas, right? Uh, and we also, and particularly in Western culture, particularly here in the United States, we've got a kind of spiritual pluralism going on. What that means is kind of the, the feel of the culture is whatever you want to believe is okay for you. Whatever I believe is okay for me. You know, and we're just going to kind of coexist. Uh, and that sounds really nice, right? That sounds really nice really tolerant, uh, really, man, we just believe whatever you want to believe, it doesn't matter, just, I'll just believe whatever I want to believe, but it's not particularly helpful, right, and it's awful confusing, because you start to think, well, what ideas about God are true, because logically, they can't all be true, right, logically, some ideas about God have to be true, and some have to be false, they can't, they can't all be correct, every person's random idea about what they think God is like, they can't all be correct, um, so, so when we're looking at that, uh, uh, and kind of thinking, and, and this is kind of what we're processing here this evening as we're about to look at this text here. Um, and what ideas about God are true and how do we know? What ideas about Jesus are true and how do we know? And there's so much confusion going on, so many different competing ideas going on. You know, kind of like my friend in middle school uh, who is seriously representing me for his own gain. 
Uh, and some statements are just flat out false. They're just flat out false. Some, some things you may hear about Jesus are flat out false. Some things you may hear about God, about heaven, about whatever are just flat out false. And it's important for you to know it, to know truth, to know what is right and what is wrong. Not, not that you're going to get up in someone's face and be like, you're wrong, you're wrong about that. Um, and you're going to show them love and grace and kindness. Uh, but, but, but it's important for you to know. You don't know, man. What, what, is, what is true about God? How do I reach God? How do I have a relationship with God? Who, who was Jesus really? Uh, these things are important. So in the text we're looking at tonight, uh, Peter, he's the leader of the early church. He stands up to address this huge crowd, uh, and he delivers a simple gospel message that highlights some basic truths about the person and work of Jesus. Uh, and, and in so doing, he's exposing some of these wrong ideas. Um, you know, so we've been going through a series these, these last couple weeks. We started two weeks ago. The series is called Throwback, right? We're talking about how, how old ideas can, can inspire us, can help us to focus on what really matters. Uh, we're talking about how we can learn from the past. And in particular, we're learning from the, the past of the early church, the very first Christians. Uh, or it's a short series in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, seeing what does the, the first few days of the church look like? The first few weeks of the early church, what did it look like? And what can we learn from the way that they lived? The way that they prayed, the way that they sought after God, the way they shared their faith. Um, what can we learn from their lives? What can we learn from that throwback Christianity? Because, man, they had lives that transformed the culture. They had lives that absolutely transformed the city around them. Lives that, that saw thousands of people become followers of Jesus in just a really short time span. And, and so looking at throwback Christianity, man, what can we learn from how they did things uh, man, to help us be more powerful here in 2016? And to live lives that transform the culture here at the University of Memphis, right? Um, last week we talked about how there's different things that we rely on, different things we depend on, different things you say, man, I cannot live without this. And we talked about how the early church, man, they relied on the power of the Holy Spirit, absolutely depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and tonight is the third part of this throwback series. We're going to look at how throwback Christianity is serious about communicating the gospel accurately, communicating the gospel correctly, uh, and upholding certain central theological truths about Jesus. So the early church, man, they were serious about getting things right. They were saying, no, no, Jesus is not going to be misrepresented, man. We're going to tell you the truth. This is what, we spent time with Jesus, right? We followed him around. Uh, we ate at his table. Uh, we, we camped out with him, right? We know what Jesus is like, and, and, and we're going to tell you the truth about it. And the, the early church, throwback Christianity, was serious about the central theological truths uh, regarding Jesus and the gospel. Um, so we're going to pick up tonight in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if not, all the verses are going to be up there. Um, or, or if your neighbor doesn't smell bad, you can kind of huddle up next to them and read off their Bible. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. So uh, where we left off last week, there was a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, signs and wonders, a huge crowd has gathered, uh, and Peter steps up to address the crowd. This is the same Peter uh, that was terrified, that was a coward. Um, and just a few pages earlier in your Bible, when Jesus is arrested, he deserts Jesus. He denies even knowing Jesus because he was afraid. This same Peter, now full of the power of the Holy Spirit, stands up and addresses a crowd of thousands. And here's what he says. Uh, he cuts right through all of the nonsense, all the confusion about Jesus uh, that different men and women had. Uh, and, and he kind of shares the Jesus he knew, that he personally witnessed and experienced. So we're going to pick up in verse 22. Acts 2, verse 22. It says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, 
And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Here in, in, in just a couple short sentences, you have the gospel in a nutshell. Uh, that, that God, uh, God himself became a human being. Um, and, and, and so, so when we talk about, we talk about Jesus being God, and how, how does that work? It, how can Jesus be God and God be God? Uh, the way God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures and throughout history uh, is existing as a trinity. Uh, uh, one God, one God uh, revealing himself to us in three distinct persons. God the Father, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, so Jesus, you're representing God the Son. God the Son made flesh as a human being. And what we're going to look at here in a minute, both fully God, 100% God, and also fully man, 100% man. So when, when you see Peter repeat this word man again and again and again, it's so that you know Jesus was not just God appearing like a person. Like if I put on a, a gorilla costume to try to go, go hang out with the gorillas, and I'm appearing like a gorilla, but I'm not really a gorilla, right? Um, no, 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 no. He, Jesus fully became a human being. So he was fully human. And fully God. So for, for the wrong thoughts about Jesus that were circulating at that time, that, well, he was just spiritual and just appeared to be man, said, no, he, he was man. He had a body. Like, we hung out with him. Uh, you know, I know he, he, he touched. And whatever Jesus ministered, he knows he touches people. He lays, lays hands on people uh, so they can know, man, he has a physical, real body. When Jesus raised from the dead, he encouraged them to play. Here, place your hands. Place your hands. Feel right here where, where, the, where the nails man, were run through me. Place your hand on my side where the spear was jabbed into me. I have a physical body, right? So, so fully man uh, and fully God. And he says that this, this Jesus uh, was crucified, was murdered, was publicly executed. So, so, so Jesus dies on the cross, and then God raises him from the dead. And he says that all of this was according to God's plan. All of this was according to God's plan for you. God did this for you. Jesus did this for you uh, as a way to reconcile you to himself. Continuing on, verse 25. Peter says, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and will fill me with the joy in your presence. And he's quoting here from Psalm 16, uh, you know, a, a psalm of David, where, psalm, where, where David is prophetically talking about the Messiah, talking about the Savior that God had been promising to send for centuries. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see different prophets uh, speak about God's going to send a Savior, a Messiah that's going to save people from their sins, reconcile them to God, deliver them from bondage. Uh, and, and Isaiah says that this Savior uh, that God's going to send is going to be God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, and, and so one of the prophecies he's quoting here is from Psalm 16, uh, where David's saying that his body won't see decay. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, so kind of speaking beforehand about the resurrection, he says when, when we, we all witnessed Jesus raised from the dead, well, it's the very thing that, that, that David had prophesied about centuries before, that the Messiah, the Holy One, wouldn't see decay. Uh, continuing on in verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here today. You know, so he, he's saying, David couldn't have been talking about himself, right? Because I can show you where David's grave is, right? We can, it's down the street. We can go check it out. Uh, David's dead and buried. He's talking about someone else. Verse 30. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised to him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. 
Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned in the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he's poured it out, what you now see and hear. Um, he, he's saying the promise from long ago was that, that, that God was going to give David a descendant that would rule. Um, so, so in the lineage of David, again, fully man, that's where the, the fully human being part comes in, uh, that Jesus as a human being would be in the lineage of David, the lineage of these ancient kings, and God had promised David there's going to be a king above all kings that's going to come through your bloodline that will rule forever. And Peter says, Jesus is that king. He's that king. He's the king that death couldn't hold him. He conquered death in the grave. His body didn't see decay. Uh, he was raised to life, and we were all witnesses of it. Now, this is huge. I'm going to pause right there for a second. Uh, th- this idea of witnesses. Um, Jesus Christ, after he raised from the dead, after he, after he was dead and buried, three days later, God raised him from the dead, and there were hundreds upon hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw Jesus alive after being dead. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, is, is an early creed of the church that was probably in circulation within six months and no later than three years uh, after the resurrection of Jesus, says upwards of 500 people saw Jesus alive after being dead. And he says, man, go ask him, right? He says, many of them are still living. You know, don't take my word for it. Go ask him. Hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. You wonder how Christianity was able to spread like wildfire through the ancient world. is because you had hundreds of people say, I know what I saw, right? I know what I saw. You can torture me, right? You can, you can kill me. I know what I saw, though, right? It wasn't like a mass hallucination. I know what I saw. It wasn't, it wasn't like Jesus' twin brother, Right, their twin identical cousin or something. That hey guys, I'm back. No, no, I put my hand in his side where the spear was run through. Right, I put my hand in his fingers. Uh, the the very first chapter of Luke it says that, that Jesus had plenty of convincing signs, and when he did raise from the dead, so people knew it was Jesus. Right, not an identical cousin, not a twin, not a hoax, not not some kind of spiritual resurrection. That's not really a bodily resurrection. Some kind of ghost person. Not that. No, totally raised from the dead as was promised through the prophets. And it says that, that when, he, when he ascended to heaven, he poured out his Holy Spirit, just like he promised. So what you're witnessing now, um, and these signs and wonders, these people full of boldness, full of the Holy Spirit, that's what Jesus promised he was going to do. He says, I'm going to go to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So what you're witnessing here, all this commotion that drew this huge crowd, uh, it's exactly what Jesus promised. Continuing on in verse 34. It says, For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, and now he's quoting uh, Psalm 110, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 36. Therefore let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's, he's exalted Jesus to a place where he, he's Lord and Messiah. So Messiah means, means Savior. And he, he's the one that saves us. He's the one that because of what he did on the cross, we can be forgiven of our sins. We can be forgiven of everything we've ever done wrong and be made right with God. He says he's also our Lord. When we come to Jesus, it's not just for a clean slate, even though a clean slate is awesome. We're also saying, hey, I want you to be in charge of my life. I've seen what my life looks like when I'm in charge, right? I've seen the hot mess I make of things when I'm in charge, when I'm in the driver's seat, right? Coming to Jesus is, 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 is Jesus, please forgive me. But then it's also, God, I want you to be my Lord. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to run things. I want to follow you. I want to be obedient to you because I trust that you've got a better way for me to live than the way I'm living now. I trust that you've got a better plan for my life than what I have, uh, that, that you're good and that you love me. Uh, and whatever you want for my life, that's what I want. Amen? 
So, so, so coming to Jesus is not, not just as Messiah, but we come to him as Lord. God's exalted him in that place where he's Lord, Lord of all. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So this is a short message. It's not very long, right? Pretty short sermon. Uh, I, would say, I would say modern day preachers, myself included, could probably take note. Very short sermon. I'm kidding. This is not all of it. It says he goes on to tell them lots of other things, but we don't have them recorded, right? Because this, this is what Luke gives us. Um, the people are cut to the heart. Saying, so this Jesus that we arrested and crucified, you're saying he was the son of God? Right? You're saying, you're saying that the, the, the same Jesus that, that we, we all gathered as a mob uh, a few weeks ago and said, crucify him, crucify him. And this same Jesus was the son of God, the Messiah sent to save us? So the people were cut to the heart, and they said, Man, what do we do? We screwed up. We killed him. Now what do we do? Now what do we do? Peter replied, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned him, warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, that, man, that's a killer sermon, right? You preach and 3,000 people become followers of Jesus, just boom, in a single day. Um, again, Peter, the same Peter that we saw, we saw earlier was a coward, was afraid, full of the Holy Spirit. He stands up and preaches a powerful message. But, but it's a simple message. It's just the simple truths about Jesus. And I've got three, uh, three points to look at, our three takeaways, our three, our three main truths uh, that we're going to look at tonight. And I want you guys to take away too. Uh, because like I said, the same confusions that were circling about Jesus 2,000 years ago are the same confusions that are circling today and things that we need to be crystal clear on. Um, and the first point that Peter makes so strongly is, and, and I mentioned earlier already, Jesus is fully God and fully human. And, and that's, that's, you're like, how? You 200% make 200%, right? Uh, my, my, math, my math people in here are like, that doesn't work. Well, with God, it works, right? It, it's a mystery. It's miraculous. We don't, we don't have to understand it. But it would be wrong for us to say, well, you know, he's mostly God. He's a little bit human, right? Or that, or that he's, he's mostly human, but he's got a little bit of God inside. No, both of those are wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. He teaches he's all the way human and all the way the Son of God. All the way God the Son. Um, so, so important theological truth for us to get and be rock solid on. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Notice I say is and not was. Right? G- Jesus raised from the dead. And we, we, we read a couple weeks ago about him ascending into heaven. Uh, where, where, one day, where he's waiting now, but one day he'll return for us. Jesus is alive. And we sang about it in that song forever, right? Hallelujah. He is alive. He is alive. He's risen. Uh, Jesus is fully God, and he's still fully human. He still has that, that human body that he was resurrected with, a perfected body that doesn't get sick, that doesn't have allergies, uh, that, man, uh, whatever, that doesn't get rug burn when he's jumping on the trampoline, <laughs> if they got trampolines in heaven. Um, right? But he's fully human now, and fully God now and forever, right? Uh, so, so this is important to get. Why, why does it matter that, that Jesus is, is fully God? Why, why does that matter? Um, and so, so Jesus makes a claim throughout the Gospels uh, that, that he is the Son of God, the, the, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the, the, the sent one, the Holy One. Uh, when, people, when people come to worship him as God, he accepts that, that worship. When people say, you're the Son of God, he, he tells them they're, they're right, that the Holy Spirit revealed that to him. 
Um, and, and the very thing that he was arrested for primarily was claiming to be God. Uh, they thought that was blasphemy, and really for anyone else to say it, it would be. Saying that you're God is a huge claim to make, right? That is a very bold thing to say, to go around and tell people, yeah, I'm God. I'm the Son of God. But then he backs it up with miracles and signs and wonders. And for anyone else to say that, you'd be like, no, you're a liar. That's not true. But then Jesus goes around and he heals the sick, right? He, he, he feeds 5,000 people on like uh, a snackable, right? He, he, goes, he goes around and, and uh, he, he heals people. He raises the dead. That's not the right word. Lunchable. I was thinking snack pad, which is like pudding. I don't know. You mix them together, right? Um, I mean, he, he's working miracles. He's raising the dead. He's, he's laying hands on lepers and, and their, their, their skin disease is going away instantly. Uh, he's healing the blind. Uh, and, then, and then ultimately he's publicly executed, but then the grave can't hold him. He raises from the dead and hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses see him alive after being dead. Uh, it's one thing to say you're the son of God, but then Jesus totally backs it up and then he has hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses to these miracles that he's done. In the, the, the very first line of, of Peter's, Peter's message, it says that, that God accredited Jesus with all of these signs and wonders. So, so, so God kind of confirmed, this is my son with all of these different signs and wonders. Um, that, that, that it matters that Jesus is God because when Jesus speaks with authority this is how you should live this is how you can have a relationship with God Man, we can take that to the bank because he's speaking as God when Jesus says there's only one way to the Father there's only one way to have a relationship with God and it's through me uh, he can do it with the authority because he himself is God Right? why does it matter that Jesus is fully human why does that matter first of all do you guys ever, ever kind of feel like when you're praying like God, you can't really understand what it's like to be me. I mean, I'm going through situations. You're up in heaven. Man, you're on maybe a fancy throne of gold. Your angels are flying around singing to you. Man, you don't know what it's like to be me with the 23 cents in the bank account. You don't know what it's like to be me with like, you feel like everybody hates me and people are lying about me and I can't pass my classes and I can't get a job and my family's falling apart and my, my, my brother hates me and my parents are getting divorced. Gee, God, you don't know what it's like, right? Because Jesus is fully human, God knows exactly what it's like. And Jesus, Jesus walked around uh, as a human being experiencing the fullness of life experience for 33 years. The Bible tells us he was tempted in every way, but he didn't sin. I mean, he, he struggled with all the same things you struggle with. Only when, you know, when I'm tempted and, and I give in and I compromise, he didn't do that part, right? Uh, but he was still tempted. He still, still felt the pull of it. He felt the agony of it. And Jesus knew betrayal. And we, 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 see, we see all of his followers desert him in the time he needs them the most. When Jesus is arrested, when he really needs his brothers, his friends, there's nobody around. Everybody abandons him, right? One of his own followers, one of his 12 closest friends betrays him, uh, hands him over to be, to be tried and killed. Um, and G- Jesus knew heartbreak, right? Jesus knew, man, what it was for stuff to be hard, to be difficult. Uh, and Jesus wasn't super wealthy. He, he was basically homeless, walking around, just, just staying where he could. Uh, you know, and, and living off the generosity of the people around him. Um, and Jesus knew difficulty. And so when we pray and we say, man, God, life is really, really hard, Jesus understands. The Bible says we have a high priest who's sympathetic, who understands, uh, because he's lived it, he's been there. The other reason it's important that Jesus is fully human is it could, only if he was fully human could he be that substitute sacrifice for us on the cross. You know, when, when Jesus was, was arrested uh, and tried and then publicly executed, um, it was gruesome and it was gory and it was terrible. But God did something beautiful and miraculous in his death. And what he did was 
He laid upon Jesus all of the punishment, all of the judgment that we all deserve for everything we've done wrong. For, for all the sin in the world, every time someone has been prideful, selfish, hurt someone else, uh, somehow gone against God, God's laws, uh, done what they knew in their conscience was not right, when they lied, when they stole, uh, every, every single person has done all, all the punishment, all the judgment we deserve for that. God chose to lay that on Jesus Instead, So that for every person that says, I want to put my trust in Jesus. Jesus, please forgive my sins. God, Jesus, please be my Savior and Lord. For every person that puts their trust in Jesus in that way and what he did on the cross for us can be totally forgiven. Instead of receiving judgment from God, they receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. They get welcomed into the family of God as a son, as a daughter, uh, and experience communion, relationship, fellowship with God forever. Um, if Jesus wasn't a human, he couldn't be our substitute in that way. And, you know, Jesus died on the cross. He died the death that I deserve to die. Man, that should have been me, right? He didn't deserve that. He was perfect. I deserve that. So he, he took my place. And if he wasn't a human, he couldn't have done that. He couldn't have been that perfect sacrifice for us. He couldn't have been that substitute for us. Does that make sense? Continue on for point two. First one was Jesus is fully God and fully human. Uh, the, the second major truth we want to look at is that Jesus really died and he really rose again. He didn't kind of die. Like he really all the way died. So, so one of the one of the ideas that was circulating about Jesus at that time, and it's an idea, I mean, you still hear people talk about today. Well, maybe Jesus didn't all the way die. Like maybe he like passed out, and then they put him in the tomb, and then he got better, and he's like, I'm back. Um, but maybe he didn't. It's, it, it, this is a real philosophical theory. It's called the swoon theory. It's bogus, but people say that. People say well, maybe Jesus didn't really die. That's how that's how he had hundreds of eyewitnesses. He didn't, he didn't really die. Um, let me let me guys let me tell you. And here Jesus or uh, Peter and, and, and Jesus' followers are saying we know for sure he was dead. Right? We were there. We were there. We were there to bury him. We know for sure it wasn't an accident. Um, the suffering that Jesus endured as he was being crucified, and we can't even wrap our minds around it. Right? We we don't we don't execute people in that way anymore. Um, even before being crucified, uh, Jesus was whipped again and again and again. His back was flayed open. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's bleeding from his back. He's bleeding from his sides. Uh, he, he hangs for, for, for hours on the cross uh, with nails uh, through his hands, through his wrists, through, through his ankles, holding him to the cross. He's having to fight for every breath uh, as, as he's suffocating to death, as his, his lungs are filling with fluid. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's bleeding all over. Uh, and, 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 and eventually, man, you know, the, the, these guys, these Romans that were in charge, these soldiers that were in charge of executing him, they were super thorough. Right? It was their job to make sure people were all the way dead. You know, if, if, they, if, they, if people slept, slipped through that were supposed to be dead, that were only kind of dead, right, they lose their job and maybe their life. Right? It was super serious. Uh, and, and as these Romans, they're, they're going around to inspect all the people that are being crucified that day. Uh, it's also a holiday. It's the Passover. They, so they say, we need to speed this up because by sundown, we need all these bodies down because it's the Passover. So if anyone's not dead yet, break their legs so, so they'll die more quickly. And this is what they do. They break the legs uh, of the other guys being crucified. They get to Jesus and they say, no need, right? He's already dead. And obviously, he's, he's, not, he's not breathing. He, he's way dead. We don't need to break his legs. To be sure, they ran a spear into his side, stabbed him with a spear. Uh, and out gushed out water and blood. Uh, Jesus was all the way dead, right? He, he didn't just pass out. He didn't just go into a coma and then wake up later. Uh, and Jesus was all the way dead when his body was taken from that cross, wrapped and buried in the grave. 
Um, and, and so that's important for you guys to know. And that was important for Peter as he's addressing the crowd. Guys, Jesus really died. He really died. And, and that's why it's so huge that he really rose again. Really rose again. So some of the ideas, and again, we, we've covered this, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. Uh, some people say, well, maybe it was just a mass hallucination. People really wanted to see Jesus real bad, uh, so they did. Or maybe, maybe like it was one of his brothers, or maybe it was someone disguised as Jesus. But uh, through the 40 days following the resurrection, Jesus provided proof after proof that it was him to hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. This isn't a small group of people that made up a crazy story, right? This isn't 12 guys. This isn't even 200 guys. Uh, 500 people, eyewitnesses to Jesus being alive after death. Um, 500 people that say, man, I, man, I saw him. I, I witnessed a miracle. Maybe I, man, I, saw, I saw the wounds. I know for sure that it was him. I'm convinced. Uh, and and, and so, so that's huge for us. 2,000 years later, so far removed from the event itself. And like, man, how can we know for sure that that happened? But we have the eyewitness testimony of these individuals faithfully passed down through the centuries to us. Jesus really did raise from the dead. He convinced crowds of people. And then when he ascended into heaven, man, they, they turned around and told everyone that they met. And let me tell you about the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Right? That this Jesus who loved me, uh, who we all saw crucified and raised from the dead. He, he revealed his plan uh, for, for, for us. And, and, and they, they went forth in passion and excitement uh, about how glorious it is. Like Again, like we sang, that he's risen, that he's alive, that he's not dead. Every other founder of every other religion that there's ever been is buried in the ground somewhere. Right? Except for Jesus. Except for Jesus. Third point and final point. Uh, Jesus can forgive your sins and reconcile you to God. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what your life has been leading up to this moment. Uh, God can forgive it because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of what Jesus did, God can extend you grace and mercy and forgiveness. You say, I don't deserve it. That's okay. Jesus took the punishment you deserve. So all that's left for you is love and mercy, forgiveness, grace. That's what God has for you. And if you're walking around feeling guilty, feeling ashamed, and you confess that stuff to God, and you get a blank slate instantly. Instantly. When you say, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. What you did on the cross for me, please forgive my sins. He does it instantly. Instantly. You're washed clean, made brand new, like you never ever sinned before, like you never did anything wrong in your whole life. Uh, That's your new identity in Christ because of what Jesus did. Your new identity is a son and a daughter in God's family. Perfect and blameless because Jesus was perfect and blameless. And Jesus alone is able to forgive sins. When, when the men were cut to the, to the heart, the men and women in the crowd said, what should we do? Peter said, and you need to repent. Repent. All, all repent means is turn away from your sinful life and turn to God. Turn away from whatever you're doing and turn towards God. Receive and this gift of forgiveness. Start following Jesus. And then he, they, he says, repent and be baptized. Uh, be, you know, baptism is a public demonstration, man, that I'm living for Jesus. So making a public commitment from this day forward, I'm living for Jesus. If you guys have questions about what baptism is, we're going to cover it in the foundations class. Real quick plug for the foundations class. Uh, one, of the, one of the ways we're going to talk about what is water baptism. There's nothing mas- magical or mystical about that water that you go into it and come out. No, but we're going to talk about what, what's the point of it, what is the purpose of it. I mean, those of you guys that are followers of Jesus but maybe haven't ever been baptized in water, that's something I want to encourage you guys to do. But, but Jesus alone is able to forgive our sins and make us right with God. Every single one of us, man, wants that relationship with God. And God, even more so, loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. Um, And Jesus alone is the one that can fix that broken relationship. uh, Reunite us with God and and, and give us the ability to have a relationship with God forever. So so for the people that were like trying to understand Jesus, the wrong thoughts about Jesus, saying, well, maybe if I just do more good than bad, 
God will accept me. You know, I don't really need to put my trust in Jesus. Uh, and Peter's, Peter's clear, uh, and the New Testament is clear, uh, that Jesus alone can forgive sins. There's no other way to God except through Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. There's not just trying really hard to be good, right? There's not just, because even, even the person who is the most goodest uh, may still falls short of the perfect standard that God has. Man, we need Jesus. We need Jesus to forgive us. We need Jesus to reconcile us. Um, so, so those are the basic truths of the gospel. Peter says, I want you guys to be rock solid on those truths. Uh, and he would say that to you guys if he could be here instead of me. I want you guys to be rock solid on those truths. That Jesus was fully God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. That Jesus really did die and really did raise from the dead with hundreds of eyewitnesses. And Jesus alone can forgive our sins and make us right with God. I've got a short verse um, from, from Galatians. Uh, basically saying... That's the truth of the gospel. If you hear anything that sounds different from that, that's not the gospel and it's not true. Right? If you hear any story different from that, uh, then they've missed it. Uh, Paul says here in Galatians, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach for you, let them be under God's curse. He says, I don't care who it is. If they come to you and they preach you something different than what I just told you, don't listen to them, right? It doesn't matter if it's an angel. Like an angel shows up and we'd be like, whoa, right? Wow. If, if they preach something different than this, don't listen to them, right? They're, they're under God's curse. They're not to be listened to. They're lying, right? They're like the Daily Bugle saying Spider-Man's a menace. Just don't listen to it, right? It's not true. It's not true um, that, that, that there's one gospel. And these rock-solid truths are what we have to uphold, what we have to stick to, what we have to believe. And so, so kind of like the crowd says, you know, you know what, what should we do? Peter, tell us what to do. How do we respond to this? Um, you know, we here in 2016, we have to answer that same question. How do we respond to this? And some of you guys may, may be already Christians. Some of you Christians may have been Christians a really long time. But if any of you here tonight, men or not, say, man, I've never really believed on Jesus in that way as the Son of God, as, as my Savior and my Lord. I've never put my trust in what He did on the cross to save me. I've never asked God to forgive me of my sins and, and, and restore that relationship, but I'd really like to tonight. We're going to have a chance to pray uh, here in a second. If you'd like to pray that and say, yeah, God, I've I, I blown it. I've screwed up, and I'd really like you to forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. I've been in charge of my life too long, and I've made a mess of things, but I want you to be in charge. I want you to come and and clean me up, fix me up. Uh, we're going to pray that here in a second. Maybe you've been a Christian a while, but you're far away from God. And, and Peter's called you as man to, to come back home, to uphold these truths, live for these truths, and proclaim this gospel to the people around you that need to hear it. Um, kind of wrapping it up here, uh, you may ask, what does all this have to do with International Night? I mean, it has everything to do with International Night. And there's huge sections of the world that have never heard the truth of the gospel. <laughs> Billions of people, billions of people that have never heard the proclamation, the good news of Jesus, that they can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did. That, that, that's the heart of missions, that there's people in throughout the world that don't know God, that have never heard, and we get a chance to go tell them, right? And there's people, people here on campus in the dorms, right, that haven't heard. And so share, share the gospel with your friends, with your classmates, with strangers, with neighbors. Uh, then, then also be conscious, is God calling you to maybe a different part of the world uh, where people have never heard? But where, where there's not a church, where there's not missionaries, where, there, where there's not there yet, but you could be there and proclaim these gospel truths to the people that need to hear it uh, so they could have a relationship with God.
We're going to have Pocky here in a minute and some sushi. I wanted to pray first um, so you guys can do business with God. Can you guys bow your head? Just close your eyes just to give privacy to your neighbors. Your, ty- your neighbor can spend some time uh, in private with the Lord. Just close your eyes, bow your heads. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you meet us here in this moment? God, would you do business with people's hearts in this moment? God, as Peter boldly proclaimed the gospel and 3,000 people received it and became followers of Jesus, there may be people here tonight, Holy Spirit, that you're drawing their hearts as well. 2,000 years later, when the church has grown from 3,000 to 2.5 billion, there's people still being drawn into relationship with you. And with every head bowed, if there's someone here tonight that says, Matt, I've never asked God to forgive my sins, but I want to be forgiven tonight. If that's you, could you just raise your hand real quick? I want to pray with you. Thank you. I see those hands. Is there anybody else? Say, Matt, would you pray with me? Thank you. You can put your hand down. You guys just pray, pray along with me in your hearts. Father God, thank you so much for your love for me. Thank you so much for sending Jesus uh, to live and to die for me. Thank you for the cross where Jesus purchased my freedom from sin with his own blood. God, I ask, would you please forgive my sins? God, I've blown it. God, I've screwed up. God, I've lived in a way that, that's, uh, that's offensive to you, God, that, that's hurt myself, hurt others. God, I know what I'm doing is wrong, and I don't want to continue to do that. God, would you please have mercy on me? Please forgive me. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, would you wash me clean? Would you make me new tonight? God, would you help me to live for you from this day forward? God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and with power, God, and help help me to, to live a life that honors you, that glorifies you. Help me to follow you, not just as Savior, but as Lord. Jesus, would you come be in charge of my life? Would you help me to live for you, God, the rest of my days? In Jesus' name. Amen. And God, I pray, pray over this group tonight um, as, as we are, are carriers of this message of truth, as we're carriers of the gospel to a campus, God, that, that there's many people that don't know you, in a city where many people don't know you, in uh, a world that many people are lost and separated from you. God, I pray that we would boldly proclaim the gospel in the same way. We boldly share the difference Jesus has made in our own life uh, and the truth about Jesus has been faithfully passed down to us so we can continue to see lives changed, continue to see lives transformed for the glory of God. We love you, Father God. I pray that you bless, bless these students' lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, next week, we are going to be downstairs in the UC Theater. And every Thursday for the rest of the semester, we'll be downstairs in the UC Theater. We have a special guest speaker next week with the next part of the Throwback Series. It's my beautiful wife, Jackie. If you've never heard Jackie speak, she, she's a fantastic speaker. So downstairs in the UC Theater next week, throwback series, we have uh, sushi and pocky. Christine's getting ready, so if you guys want to line up back, hang out as long as you want. And again, if, you, if there's someone in here you've not met, introduce yourself and, and go meet them. All right, love you guys. Bye, <laughs> 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 <laughs>